You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. You know that when I normally end the service, what I normally do is I say, I love you and go and be to church. And I was really feeling the love just now. Now, Pastor Bill, I got a, I got a couple of messages. People are telling me, you got to do jokes. I'll, I'll do my best. You, you, know, <laughs> you know I struggle with that. But last week, Pastor Bill, I was sitting over there. I had on my nice, I thought it was like a Hawaii Caribbean shirt. And he had me stand up and he like made not really made fun, but he was like kind of ragging on me about my shirt. Oh, look at that shirt, it's so much fun. And next week we're gonna be gone and, and you know, we're gonna be having fun like your shirt looks like right now. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully, you know, everybody's gonna have fun next week. So what I did was I didn't have another shirt that was quite as loud as the other one. But what I did do is I, I got a, a picture that was hopefully gonna take the place of my Caribbean, Hawaiian type of shirt, and it's going to be a substitute. So now, Pastor Bell didn't get to see it, and I guess it's going to be on the website or something, but don't, don't tell them too much about it. But I do hope that it's going to bring you some refreshment, not only the picture, but what I'm going to share with you today. Everybody sit down. You guys are still... It's a good thing I looked out, because it'd be like, yo, the, everybody's dead tired by the time we get finished. I'm sorry. My bad. So I wanted to start with a testimony. Testimony kind of goes back to last December of 2018. We were in Mexico, and I was having a good time doing all kind of crazy stuff, zip lining and stuff. And then all of a sudden, my back kind of started hurting. Now, I've had back surgery before, so it's like not the biggest of deals. But what happened this time was the pain started, and it never stopped. It just got worse and worse and worse. So between December and I say about March, it got to the point where I was really in excruciating pain. I'm talking pain that was so bad, there were times when I sat there during the service, and maybe the praise and worship team might have seen it, but I was sitting there and kind of tears were coming down my face, because it was just, I mean, it was kind of horrible. And one time, Pastor Bill prayed for me, not so much because I was crying, but he prayed for me. And he came over and he prayed, he said, Lord, my prayer is that Ron would learn whatever you want him to learn from this experience. And I was like, okay, pastor, so we know you know how to pray, so how come you didn't pray that the pain be gone? Because that's what I'm, re- I'm not really looking for a learning thing right now. I'm looking for the pain to be gone, and that would be kind of very cool right about now. But, but we do know that he knows how to pray, and I did actually learn some things from this experience. One of the things that I learned was that Jesus knows and he feels our pain. And some of this was kind of relearning it, but you know how we're kind of knuckleheads and sometimes you learn something, you got to learn it again because you just didn't get it the first time. I also learned or relearned that Jesus suffered far more for us than we suffer when we go through our changes. And that kind of came to reality because one day I was praying, I'm like, Lord, you know, this is so hard. And he was like, yeah, imagine what I felt like for you. And then that kind of changed my prayer. I started praying about other things as opposed to the pain. What is it that you want me to learn? I learned that pain while we go through it is temporary. It might be comparatively great to what we're dealing with, but for right now, for right now, but it's really kind of a temporary thing. And I also learned how to rest throughout the day. Now, I am not a napper. Anybody knows me when I was this big, 
But when I was this big, they tried to put me, because when I was this big, I had to do it, because you know, you had no choice. But when I got bigger, they would try to put me down for a nap, and I was like, why I got a nap? People are outside, it's daylight. I hear people playing, I mean, you know. But I learned during this experience that it's very important that you do, in fact, take naps. Because if you don't, if you don't rest, if you don't take these little mini Sabbaths, you start to break down literally. And I was dealing with so much pain that if I didn't kind of get away from it on some kind of a nap basis, some type of a mini Sabbath, I was going to wind up kind of falling apart. Around March, I'm praying about the pain and the things that the Lord wants me to learn. And he said, well, I'll heal you. And I was like, ooh, that's good, because that's what I was really kind of looking for anyway. <laughs> but then that was March, and between March and May, I had three epidurals. For those that don't know, that's when they give you a shot in your back to kill the pain. I had three, because like, the pain was just like not going away. And it got to the point where I had to go to and talk to a neurosurgeon, because it was like, well, Lord, I can't even deal with this. So I, ha I trust that you made doctors too, so you'll be able to get me to the right doctor. And the doctor that I went to said this. He said, you know, I have good and bad news for you. After he looked at the reports and the MRIs and all of this stuff, he said, good and bad news. The good news is that you don't need surgery. That's the good news. As a matter of fact, he said, I can see why the orthopedist would have recommended it and justified it, but you don't need surgery. And I'm a neurosurgeon. I like cut for a living, but I'm not going to be doing any surgery on you. I was like, well, thank you, Lord. That's good news. And then he said, now the bad news is I really don't know what's causing this inflammation. And I really don't know how we're going to make the pain go away. And I'm like, okay, Lord, so that's like we're halfway there. <laughs> you know, what, what, how are we going to get to the other half? But I did hear him say that I'm going to heal you. And the good news is that about a month ago, the pain just started going away for no reason. So I'm, so I'm to the point right now, so I'm to the point right now where I'm pretty much pain free. If I do a long car drive, then you know, you get a little stiff, but that's what happens when you do long car drives anyway. So I did learn some stuff as Pastor Bill, his, his prayer was realized. He said, I mean, what I learned was that I need to nap and I need to rest, and I need to trust God, but there was also something else that I learned, and it comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and that talks about us knowing him, and it talks about the power of his resurrection, but it also talks about something that I would dare say, at least for me, and I think a lot of us as Christians don't really want to deal with, is the fellowship of his suffering. Because nobody really like volunteers. I can volunteer to help you. I can try to love you. I'll do things for you. I'm a social worker. That's what I kind of do. But to necessarily like volunteer to suffer, not necessarily. But during these last several months, I learned it. So I was thankful to that. So getting into the sermon now. Whenever we're going to do some type of instruction or encouragement or share correction, it's important that we use God's word, that we use the scripture. And when I was preparing, something that stood out to me was from Isaiah 26, verse three, and it said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Now we get good teaching here. So we know that when we see him in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily just mean him, sometimes it's him and her. 
And sometimes when we hear man or man is written in the word, sometimes it's really talking about men and females. But I am a social worker, and one of the things that I learned in school was we kind of call people social animals. Now, we're not going to get into the whole thing. No, we're not animals, but God's children and all of that. But social animals as a way to kind of talk about ourselves. And many times when I was in college, I would start a paper with that phrase because all that we learn and all that we do and all that we experience tends to happen in context. Most of the time, they wind up being social. So if we're having an experience with the creation and or cosmos, whether we're having an experience directly with other people or we're having an experience with God as our father and as the creator of this cosmos in which we live, it's always that we're learning and doing and experiencing things in context. So our theme this summer is peace. Sorry, rest. It's rest. And what Pastor Bill said to me when he asked me to preach was, this, okay, so Ron, I want you to continue with this theme. And being the obedient servant that I am, I said, sure, Pastor, no problem. So what I'm going to preach about is rest and peace. Not just rest, but rest and peace. And they're not really identical, but for our purposes, we're going to use them the same way because they're similar enough. So whenever you're going to do something, it's good that you all start off on the same page. So I came up with some definitions of rest and peace. And for rest, the one that I found was, it was going to be a verb. And it says to cease work or movement in order to relax, to refresh oneself, or to recover strength. To allow to be inactive in order to regain strength, health, or energy. And peace was just like it. This one, the, the word was a noun, and it was freedom from disturbance, quiet tranquility, mental calm, or serenity. So that's what we'll be working from. Now, scripture has many, many verses about peace. Jesus said, peace be still, and the wind ceased immediately when there was a sudden squall that came up when they were on the lake. He said, go in peace and be healed to the women who was having the 12-year issue of blood. The angelic host appeared and spoke to the angel, the, the shepherds in the field when they announced Christ's birth. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And Isaiah, and prophetically looking forward to Christ's birth, said in Isaiah 6, 9, sorry, 9, 6, and 7, his name shall be called Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus said, peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. When he was promising us the Holy Spirit. He also said, in me you may have peace, as opposed to the tribulation that the world offers you when they try to take you through changes and things aren't going the way we think they ought to go. Paul wrote in Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord. And that was the result of our being justified with him as a result of our faith. He also wrote to the Corinthians, God has called you to peace. And God is not a creator or author of confusion, but of peace. To the Colossians, he said, Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross 
and in so doing, he reconciled everything to himself. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the Hebrew writer wrote, strive for peace with everyone. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, seek peace and pursue it. He was talking about us having uh, brotherly love and unity in the bond of faith. And James wrote, those who make peace sow a harvest of righteousness in peace. Peace, being freedom from disturbance, quiet tranquility, mental calm, and serenity. And the Bible also talks about rest, many places. First time it shows up is in Genesis when they're talking about the Sabbath. God created all of these things, and then he rested from the work that he was doing. And so doing and taking his rest, he called it a solemn seventh day of rest. It was holy to himself, and he blessed it. Matthew also, uh, sorry, the book of Matthew also spoke about it. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Author of Hebrews said, he who believed entered that rest, talking about God's rest. And if we believe, we can enter into the rest of God. In Revelation, John wrote, and now he was speaking about those of us that have passed away, but what he said, blessed are they, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. And finally, in Matthew, again, it says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus said that when he and the disciples were being challenged by the religious leaders of the day, by the Pharisees, because they were walking through a field, they were hungry, they picked up a couple of grains, they ate it, and then the religious folk got all upset. And Jesus said, yeah, well, you know what? Like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So, so rest being ceasing from work, from movement, to relax, to refresh or recover strength is purposeful inactivity. It's not that you're just not doing something. You're not doing something on a reason, which means you're really kind of technically doing something, but we won't go there. To regain strength, health, and energy. Now, many of us in the church are reading a book, it's a daily devotion, it's called Upper Room Disciplines. And one of the contributors is named Donna Allison. And she wrote a prayer that says, Dear Lord, be with us this week as we study your word with the aim of enlightening, encouraging, strengthening ourselves, not only for our good, not only for our good, but for the good of others. Lead us into a life of being the gospel for others. Another way of saying that is that we should be living epistles to be read by everyone. So if we're going to be kind of social animals the way I kind of framed us, the question is how are we supposed to be good social animals as living epistles? How do we do that? So in Colossians, I, you know, I stopped to talk for a second, but it's like this still works, so that's very cool. <laughs> in Colossians... The third chapter, starting at verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called 
in one body and be thankful. So what that verse is telling us is, is you know what? If you want to live a kind of peaceful life, if you want to be moving in concert with Christ, what you should do is put on love and compassion. Put on humility. And let Christ rule in your hearts. Luke also speaks about this, how we're supposed to live if we're going to be living epistles. Comes from chapter 12, starts at verse 22. And he said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. For the life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not, you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider, consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. So he's talking about peace right there. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if he's going to give it to us, then we're talking about rest. We don't have to strive. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called a pastor, and some of us in the church are reading that right now. And it's a story about his journey from being a Christian guy to becoming a pastor and some of the things that he learned and some of the things that he went with. And one of the things that he talks about is that in this country in particular, we fall prey to what he called the gospel according to America. The gospel according to America. And that gospel has its tenets. It basically says, well, you know what? You don't have to be silent. You should speak up, speak your mind, it's important, you have rights, say what you want to say. It says that we should avoid emptying ourselves so that way we could be filled with something from God. You should never empty yourself, it's all about you, whatever you think you want to do. Men should show their prowess and women should show how smart they are and their equality and everybody should be going for theirs. Gospel According to America says that human action and our energy is wholly admirable wholly admirable. And if it's not wholly admirable, it's at least justifiable. You can come up with some reason for whatever little thing somebody did over there, it would be okay. Gospel according to America says that energy yields fruit. And the fruit that that energy that we expend is, is money. And the more money you have, the better you are. So therefore, work as hard as you can to get that money. And it also says very interestingly that Whatever God does is okay. See, the gospel according to America doesn't like negate God. It doesn't say that he doesn't exist. It says that, you know, he's there, but, you know, he kind of does stuff too. But it's not about what he does. It's really all about you. It's about what you do because what you do is preeminent. 
Now, that really kind of flies in the face of the fact that what is actually preeminent is what God does and what he's actually in the process of doing and what his will is. In the same book, the pastor, what uh, Pastor Peterson wrote was, and speaking about himself, this was his own journey, he says, it was necessary to clear ground for leaving, for learning that God was at work, not I. God was at work, not really me. That he was the center of the way I was going to be living for the rest of my life. And he also said my work assignment was to pay more attention to what God was doing, was going to do, what he does, and more than what it is that I do. And while he was talking about that in that same passage, he talked about, and therefore what we need to do is develop rhythms where we can get in touch with what it is that God's doing. That would be able to give us guidance. It would give us direction that we need. So how are we instructed to live? What we're really enjoying to do by the scripture consistently, if we want to live victorious lives, is that we should be paying attention to what God is doing on both macro and micro levels. Macro and micro levels. Now, that would be a whole different sermon that I talk about, but God created this whole universe that we live in, this entire cosmos. So therefore, he's in touch with everything that's going on everywhere, which is way beyond what we can imagine. But he's also in touch with the infinitely small. I guess it's called macro nowadays. I was a pretty good student. I left off at science when we got to electrons. By the time we got down to electrons, I was good. I was going to be a social worker, not a scientist anyway. You know, so I need to know too much about that. But he's at the very, very, very smallest level, little and large. And our job is to align ourselves to what he's doing on those bigger and our regular, everyday human levels. So one of the ways that we can do that and live victoriously is through prayer. And prayer is the time when we stop what we're doing to seek his direction and we can learn. We can learn more about him. We learn more about ourselves. Some of my best prayers are when I'm praying about whatever and the Lord shows me something about me. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I, I thought I had it together. Thank you for showing me that, okay? But we can learn about him. We can learn more about ourselves and the situations that we find ourselves in. And because we spend time with him and develop a stronger relationship, what we're able to do is develop or cultivate a desire to live holier lives. Holier lives. Not what we want to do, not like what the gospel of America says, but lives that honor God. Where we are acting as his children, as sons and daughters. Where we're acting as singles and couples and spouses and parents. All of the various roles that we play when we function in society, that we can function in a holier way as servants of God through Jesus, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we do all of this toward the end of advancing his kingdom because it's not really about us. I mean, sometimes I like to think I'm smart, but I don't know that I would have come up with the universe. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not that good. I'm, that's just the way it is. Now, Jesus taught from, he did a lot of teaching. And one of the times that he taught it was from the mountainside, and he was talking to the disciples in the crowd that had it gathered. And he was teaching the Beatitudes, that we've come to commonly call them. And he said that we're blessed if we're poor in spirit, 
because ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed if we mourn because we'll be comforted. We're blessed if we're meek because we will inherit the earth. We're blessed if we're merciful because we'll receive mercy ourselves. We're blessed if we're pure in heart because we'll actually get to see God. We're blessed when we're persecuted and we should actually kind of take it as a compliment because we're in good company. And we're blessed when we're peacemakers because we'll be called, we will be called the sons and daughters of God. Peacemakers. But you don't kind of just stumble into being a peacemaker. It's a matter of choice. And what peacemakers do, they choose how they're going to deal with all of life's challenges. Jesus was very clear. In this world, you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Some of those tribulations are pain that I started off talking about that I was dealing with. There's injustice. There's insults. There's hostilities. There's tasks that need to be attended to. Deadlines that need to be met. All of the daily responsibilities, you got to pay bills, you got to clean out, all of these things that you have to do. And we are enjoying to be good stewards. We're supposed to live responsibly as stewards. But if we're going to be peacemakers, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. One is, so when I'm insulted, do I trade insults with more insults? In all honesty, person, another testimony, sometimes I do pretty good. Oh, now she's going, she going to shout me out now. <laughs> sometimes I do pretty good, but sometimes not. Do we stand firm in faith knowing that whatever's going on, if it's not right, it's not going fair, this isn't fair, am I going to be vindicated? Do I stand that way with that posture as a peacemaker? Do I take the position that all of my trials are ultimately going to be turned into triumph in Jesus Christ? So Martha and Mary are uh, two examples, illustrations of being living epistles, okay, read by everybody. Now, both of them loved Jesus, and they did welcome Jesus when he was in town. Ooh, we're going to have him over. We're going to have a, I was going to say barbecue, but we won't get a reverend in church. But they invited him over for a meal. They came from the same stock. They were genetically from the same pool. Literally, as sisters, they were Lazarus's sisters. But they were really two different types of personalities because Martha was distracted. She had all these things to do. Anybody has ever had somebody over to the house and you're not like really the neat one, you know what I'm talking about. You got to move this. How come that's not over there? You got to clean this over here. Move this. The stuff that was okay all the time to be there, now it needs to be moved, right? And... And, and, and that was Martha. I, when I was writing this, I didn't write it down, but I thought about it. It's like she was probably saying to the, to the people, listen, you know he likes sitting over there by the window and looking outside because he likes nature, so you got to clean that spot up over there. I mean, there was all of these things. And then she actually wound up catching the attitude at the end of it. She said, Jesus, you know, this isn't right. She's not helping. Tell her to stop what she's doing. And Jesus kind of chastised her and said, nah, nah, you're the one that's wrong. She chose the right thing. What she chose to do was to sit at my feet and to listen to what I was saying. That's the more important thing. One translation says that's what's necessary. So she did what was necessary, and Jesus praised her for that. 
So what we're all really supposed to be is a bunch of Marthas. We're supposed to walk around and listen deeply to what Jesus is saying, not be irresponsible as stewards. We have things that we need to do. But we need to listen deeply to what Jesus is saying and spend quiet time with him. That's what's necessary. That's the best thing. We should absorb and internalize his words and embrace experiencing his presence. Just being in his presence. There's so much that we can learn from that. And set aside all of the busyness. Just get alone with Jesus. So what does that look like in practical terms? Well, what we need to do is spend time in prayer and meditation. We need to take pause. Stop what you're doing and listen to the birds sing and listen to children laugh and play. I brought an example. I don't have to look up there. I can look up there, but you look up there. I brought an example of a beautiful sunset. And you don't even, I mean, that was a vacation, but you don't even need to be on vacation. We can go right down by the river and experience great sunsets and beautiful sunrises and stuff and just kind of commune with God. Take some time. We have to try to do what we can to silence the noise. That means that when you come home, maybe the TV doesn't go on first, maybe the radio doesn't go on first. You know what they're going to say. Whatever it was that they did yesterday, they're going to do it again today anyway. So, so, really, so maybe what we need to do is like just spend some quiet time with God and listen for his still, small voice that winds up getting drowned out if you got all of this noise coming in. Now, also in the book of Disciplines, there was a pastor, her name is Sharon Garner, and she wrote a prayer, and it says, God of silence and sound, God of singing birds, chattering squirrels, breezes in the leaves, slow me down so that I may receive the blessing of selah, or peace, or pause, or of amen. The blessings of a selah amidst the never-ending noise that surrounds me. Fill me with your love so that the words I speak may be grounded in an awareness of your silent stillness at the center of my being. Grounded in an awareness of your silent stillness in the center of my being. So what this prayer does is it speaks to us being filled with God's love. It speaks to us sitting in silent stillness of pausing, taking pause, if you will, taking a break to listening deeply to what God says to us and really bringing it into our spirits to be absorbing it. Now, Colossians 1, 15 to 27 speaks about Jesus being our hope of glory. Now, Pastor Bill has done a good job. He's not even finished yet, but he's done a good job of talking about how Jesus is a physical representation for us of God. And if we're going to be living victorious lives, what we need to do is to do our best to get ourselves out of the way so we can live like Christ did. Meaning that we'd be manifesting the fruit that he did. To the extent that we're gifted, we should use the gifts in the same way that he did. And we should be regularly communing with our father as he did. Now, the way he did that was every day, he got up early, he got away from everybody, he got away from the noise. And he spent time with God, away from all of the distractions. Now, distractions are... What distractions do is they take us off purpose. 
I won't say that they're necessarily bad because sometimes we need to be distracted from some of the things that we're dealing with, but they will take us away from our purpose if we don't, if we're not careful. And some of the distractions are we get filled with stress. I got so much to do. I'm everybody, anybody ever heard somebody say, I'm stressed out? I'm stressed out. I got X, Y things to do. But, but stress can be a, a distraction. Doubt, anger, depression, fear, our bad health, all of these can take us off of our purpose if we're not careful. But Jesus, our hope of glory, is victorious and he is our victor. We need to always be focused on the fact that he's the Prince of Peace, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's our inheritance, he's the creator and sustainer of all things, and he's our divine peacemaker. And he made for peace for us through the blood of his cross. So if we want to bear fruitful lives, what we have to do is that recognize his glory. We have things to do, but recognize his glory. His glory in us and his glory in others as well. And a quick aside, if you ever find yourself dealing with somebody that's really getting on your nerves, if you slow yourself down enough, sometimes I don't, but if you slow yourself down enough, look for Christ, look for God in them, look for his image in them, because then you'll really deal with them a little bit differently. But we're to look and recognize his glory in ourselves and others, and what it does is it has a few requirements. It requires us to arrange our lives and manage our time, to commune with God more frequently, so as to strengthen our relationship with him so we can reflect his likeness, his image, his character to others because that's what we're supposed to be, living epistles. And prayer is indispensable for us if we're going to live as epistles, as gospel folk walking around showing God's presence to everyone that we meet. So prayer is our key to victorious living and I was thinking about it the disciples got a lot of things wrong. Got a lot of things wrong. We won't do a sermon about that. But one thing that they did get right was they asked Jesus to teach us to pray. And he did. It's the, our Father, as we know it, the Lord's Prayer. But in it, he taught them to acknowledge God as their Father. He taught them to praise God, to submit to God's will or plan. And after you've done all of that, then ask for what it is that you want. Do that first, though. Acknowledge, praise, submit, and then ask for what you want. And the implication of that prayer is twofold. One, that God hears what you're praying. And then two, that he cares about your heart's desires. Not only does he hear it, but I'm not interested. He hears and he's listening intently because he loves us. So there's some principles that go along with praying. It's not superstitious reciting of stuff. Yeah, you know, Lord, remember back in the 80s and the 90s, it was like pray this, that, and the third, and then you get it, and you get all these miracles and all that. I used to watch TV and say to myself, dude, if it was that good, why are you begging for money? Why don't you just say the things, and God's going to drop millions of dollars in your pocket? Why are you asking me for money? It's, this must not really work. But I'm, I'm just saying. So... So it's not superstitious reciting. It's not demanding things of God like it's a blank check and you therefore have to give me what it is that I want. 
is not a guarantee of prosperity, or really it's not even a guarantee of anything that we want that we're going to get. What it is, is a relationship building discipline, however. It's getting together with him to be in closer relationship with him. What prayer requires is that we ask so that we can receive. It, it, it requires that we seek so that we can find. And requires that we knock so that we, things will be open to us. And we can faithfully trust that God is going to answer us. Now, sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is not now. But God will, in fact, always answer. Remember, the two, the two principles are that he hears and that he cares. We also need to believe that prayer changes things. It changes how we see ourselves in relation to the problems that we're going through. It changes our perspective on the environment that we're in and whatever it is that we're dealing with. It changes how I see and how I relate to others. And it does that because not only is God high and holy, but he's also close and intimate. Remember of the macro and the micro? He cares about everything that's large and he cares about everything that's small as well. And because of that, he cares about us more than we can begin to understand. If you have children, you know how much you love them. It's like, yeah, that's kind of like I like them compared to what God feels for us in terms of his love. He wants to be in relationship with us, and that, that relationship gets nurtured and developed when we spend time with him, when we're in periods of prayer with him, when we're intentional and we're disciplined about getting along with him to hear from him. We can be confident of our relationship when we spend time, when we're in that experience of being in his presence, and what it ultimately leads to is peace, again, quiet tranquility, mental calm and serenity, and it leads to us finding rest, refreshing, recovering strength by ceasing work, relaxing confidently, in God's ability to provide an, an inactivity that's designed to strengthen us and give us health and to provide us with energy. So closing thoughts. Martha got the meal out, but the question is, is well, at what cost did she get the meal out? Okay? We tend to be busy with a, a ton of different things, and we worry about all kinds of things, but the question is, is you know what, while we're worried about these potential outcomes, uh, how many of these outcomes can we really control? Even if we're being responsible stewards, how many can we control? And if we can't really control them, so therefore how much can we change things? And that's just of the things that we can see. We have no idea how many things are going on in the background that God is protecting us from. While we worry about, we can see these things right here, but there's this thing that's going on that God wants us to be trusting him to be dealing with. A word picture about prayer. Okay, word picture. Now, we know water is likened to the Holy Spirit, right? So I want to give you two images. One of prayer is that you're at the beach and you're on the shoreline and the, the wave comes up on the shore and then it washes off and then it comes up on the shore again, and it's constant. It's always going on and on. It's going back and forth, as opposed to meditation. 
Meditation is more like you look at a mirror lake and it's absolutely still. And whatever you see in the sky, you can see on the lake. And you take a rock and you throw it in and it hits the water and it sets up these concentric circles that are moving outward, okay? My encouragement to you is that you do what you can to still yourself. So that way when Jesus touches you, the impression that he leaves is what ripples out. And that's what people actually see. Acknowledge Jesus as the Prince of Peace and the Lord of the Sabbath. Work on ways to intentionally step back and spend some time with him, as opposed to getting caught up in the daily demands. And I guarantee you that God is going to speak to you during those times, before those times, and after those times. And it doesn't really make a difference what your rhythm is. When I was younger, my rhythm was, remember I said I was the midnight rider? My rhythm was I did my best Bible study at night, period. I went to many churches. They would get up in the morning and pray early. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really work for me. What works for me is if I'm the last thing that I'm doing because when I wake up in the morning, I kind of pick up with that. That may work. It doesn't work for you necessarily, but the deal is whatever your rhythm is, figure that out if it's in the middle of the day. Some people, the, the whole morning rhythm thing would really kind of be the evening thing anyway, because if you work overnight, when you get off, then your morning is nighttime, and you see what I mean? So evening can, in fact, work. But the point is, is whatever you come up with, that's what you're encouraged to do. And when you do, you'll be amazed by the different insights and the serenity and the encouragements and the strengths that you'll find from resting with God. And you'll sense his peace simply knowing that you've been in his presence. So with all of that said, I just want to end by saying, God bless you, Salem. I love you. Peace be with you as you protect the discipline of resting, as you withdraw from things to do periodically during the course of the day, as you give time and space for God to work in you, to work in you, to work in others, to work in the situations that you face, so that way we could be living epistles. Let's end in prayer. You can stand if you want to. Tired of sitting, it's been that long, huh? My bad. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for all the things that you, that you do for us, that you share in us. Lord, we thank you for your work of salvation on the cross. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for dwelling in each of our lives, Lord. We thank you for each other as well. We pray that you help us to enter that rest and peace that you have for us, and that you help us to be faithful, living epistles read by everyone and reflecting you as we go about advancing your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.